2: Welcome to a new episode of Delirious Nomads, brought to you by Blacklight Media Records, a weekly podcast hosted by yours truly, celebrity chef Chris Santos, I hate calling myself that, and underground metal connoisseur Matt Bacon, who loves being called that. This is your new favorite podcast for all things heavy metal, as well as breakdowns of your favorite combat sports, and riffing on some food talk every
3: week with very special guests from across the globe. Um, Hello. And welcome to the black... Oh, let me try that again. Hello um, and welcome. Are you going to okay. start with Om? Um? Okay, well, if you interrupted me, I was going to do it, okay? Vaughn, you got to allow me to get in character. Okay? <laughs> I don't have my mojo in your guest room. <laughs> uh. Hello and welcome to the Blacklight Media... Fuck. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Delirious Nomads podcast hosted by Blacklight Media. I'm Matt Bacon here with the one and only Chris Santos. Yes, the guy from Chopped. And we are here with our repeat guest, our dear friend, Vaughn Lewis of Unchained Management. How are you, Vaughn, for part two? I'm good.
2: Thanks for having me on again. I don't think we're going to edit any of those intros. I think we're just going to have to air it the way it's. it's. And if that (laughs) happened, everyone just heard what a train wreck that was. Um, Rock and roll. It's rock and roll. We're, anyway. So yes, so we're here with Vaughn Lewis, um, Unchained Management.
3: Yeah. There was a bunch I wanted to get into on this episode. Because last episode, we talked about sort of your beginnings in the industry, right? Yeah. But we really didn't get, we sort of got the backstory. We sort of got, okay, you were doing these things. You did this internship that kind of led to the H2O thing, you know, which is sort of how you started managing, right? Yes. But we didn't really get into sort of phase two, which is kill switch engage. Really, yes, you know, because yes. I think you do that. Lords of you do that. Lords of Brooklyn project, and you're doing a few other interesting projects in the late '90s. Yep. But I, but I feel like we can really say the next chapter starts in 2001. Would you say that? Yeah. Yeah, I think
0: that's fair to um, say.
3: Also, if you don't listen to Lords of Brooklyn, you're fucking up. Go listen to Lords of Brooklyn.
0: Um, Shout out to Caves and Adam from the Lords of Brooklyn.
3: Can we talk about that? Can we talk about how the sure. Killswitch Engage situation started? Because I feel like that's the. Sure. We record these, a, you know,
2: a little in advance of when they actually air. But Killswitch Engage just played yesterday at Not Fest yes. LA. I was unable to go last minute; I couldn't make it. But um, but just a huge gig for them to play in front. of I mean, they played for, I mean, they've opened for Iron Maiden. They've they've done the shows before. But talk about a band that really from the cellar to the you know among the top of yeah. the industry. So, yeah. So yeah. So um, that's I guess. I want to hear your whole story about how you got involved with them, but how were they in, uh, at Notfest and how were they receiving? Oh, The show
0: The show was insane. Um, the tour, you know, the tour was amazing. We've been trying to do something with not something here in the States for a while. The shows were insane. Yesterday was a Notfest show, so it was, it was even bigger. It was it was an awesome time. And it's ironic that we're talking about how I got started with them because um, I hung out for a while with, with Mike Gitter, who, who was at the show, and you know, my story with Kill Switch Engage really starts with, with, with Mike Gitter, who, you know, was an A&R guy at Roadrunner. Before that, he worked at Atlantic. Um, he signed like he signed Bad Religion to Atlantic, signed Orange Nine Millimeter. Um, I funny enough, I know Mike. Well, I I know I knew of Mike. Mike was a writer. Mike used to write, he used to have his own zine, but then later on he used to write for Rip. He used to do um, you know, uh, write-ups for tour programs. Like when I was a kid going to big shows and buying a program, a lot of times he would write the line of notes on the program. So Mike is, was one of those guys who, you know, when you're in that area in New York, you know, I spent a lot of time in record stores. And before Mike even knew who I was, we would see each other in record stores. And I always joke around with Mike. He, he didn't know me from a hole in the wall, but he would walk up behind me. I'd have like a record in my hand, and he'd walk up behind me like, you know, don't get that one. You should get this other one if you don't have it. And then he'd walk away. And, that, and that's, you know, and that's kind of how I know Mike. So basically from years of, you know, working with a lot of the bands in the punk rock and hardcore scene, and Mike was in and around that. And we got to know each other a bit. And Mike kind of watched me from afar. And uh, he was just about to sign Killswitch to Roadrunner. And... You know, he basically said, you know, I'm about to sign this band. They're kind of at the time, all the guys in Kill Switch were, were like in other bands. And this band, I guess, started as more of like a local supergroup than something that was going to be real. At least that's the way Roadrunner perceived it, or some people perceived it. I shouldn't say Roadrunner, but some people perceived it. Are we talking first record, like Alive or Just Breathing?
2: or Yeah,
0: this, well, Alive or Just Breathing is, is the first record on Roadrunner. Okay, got it. So we're talking before that, but they did have an independent record out on Ferret uh, that was very, like, you know, underground big. Like, just very underground. Like, people who knew about it, loved it. The vast majority of people did not even know it existed. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. within their little world, that Massachusetts you know northeast world that record was kind of a big deal but it was really a big deal for a really small you know small group of people so yeah. that record which, which was on ferret uh carl steverson who started ferret was working at Roadrunner at the time so he was a big part of you know roadrunner being you know interested in the band and you know Gitter signed him and he said you know what or, or was about to sign him he's like you know what you should meet these guys i think you know i think you could, you could be a good fit just the way you so work and how wait, those wait, guys wait. are the Ferret Record, what year did that come out? That would have come out in 2000. So,
2: like Shadows Fall, Kilgore, those kind of bands were happening around Massachusetts and Providence? Yeah.
0: Well, not even Shadows Fall yet. It was um, the band that Brian Fair from Kill Switch, from Shadows Fall, and Mike D, Overcast. Overca- yeah, Overcast. Um, yeah. It was more like that. So, mm-hmm. again, you know, Mike D was an Overcast. Um, Adam and Joel, Adam played drums and Joel guitar in a band called Aftershock. Mm-hmm. Uh, with Tom Gomes on drums, who ended up never playing on a record, but he ended up playing drums in Killswitch for a while. Um, little known fact, you know, a lot of people don't realize, Adam played drums on that first ferret record and Alive at Just Breathing. Really? Yeah, yeah. Another funny aside with that. When they recorded *Alive*, *Just Breathing*, they wanted to add a second guitar player, and initially they were looking for second guitar players because Adam was going to play drums. And when they didn't find anyone that they liked, they had this idea that Adam would move forward and play guitar, and they'd bring in Tom, who they knew from their previous band, to play drums. And at the time, no one was really into that idea because you know the band was so good with Adam on drums. So mm. you know, just kind of a funny aside because the band is oh. you know as good or better with Adam playing guitar. Huh. But, um, so yeah, so Mike, you know, Mike, uh, Mike made an intro. I didn't know a ton about the band. I knew the Ferret record and, you know, it's one of those things where just really as people, we just clicked, you know, we met, uh, I met them the first time we, I, I met them. We drove to a show in Philly and I think pretty sure they didn't play. Basically they were, they were playing, uh, I think it was style like 13 in Philly. And mm-hmm. someone had robbed the money at the door. And so they didn't play. And so I think we just kind of hung out. And then I saw them again at a big SOU show in Newark. But, you know, really it was just kind of vibes. They had some some demos for Alive with Breathing, I think, just at that point. And um, really the meeting, you know, we it was really just all about whether they were going to make this a real project, whether they were going to tour behind it, because there was some question as to whether this, this was more a, a super group and less of a an actual thing. And they had this attitude that let's give it a shot. You know, we want to give it a shot. And my thing with them was, you know, if we're willing to commit a certain amount of time to really see if it works. And, um, you know, one of the biggest things for them, and this is really good for any band now, one of my biggest things with them was that it takes time to become a self-sufficient band. And I'd seen seen a lot of bands on Roadrunner, to be honest, a lot of bands that I was friends with, not get themselves to the point where they were self-sufficient quickly enough and when you can't do that, then you're, you're really dependent on the label, the manager. You're dependent on everything else but yourselves to continue to, to kind of move forward. And once you lose that support from the label, you're, you're kind of done.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And the thing that I stress with them as an audience, it was getting self-sufficient really fast to the point where you can kind of dictate what you, you, know, what you want to do. And, and the other thing is. How do you do that? As a band, how do you accomplish that? Well, I mean, you, one, you got to really manage your money because you can't, you know, if you make some money, you can't just spend it all. You got to put some aside to kind of, it's like like running a business. You make some money, you got to keep, you got to put it back into the business. Um, Because if you spend the money and then later on you need the money to do something and you don't have it, then you can't do it and you can't move forward. And what a lot of bands do is, you know, they get some money, maybe they get a a deal from the label. Back then, there was still tour support, maybe you get a little tour support. And if you spend it all needlessly, you inevitably are going to need it at some point. And, you know, Roadrunner at that point was really good with tour support. We didn't need a ton in the sense of, as managers, we were really good at Budgeting things and and you know having them not need so much so that every time I went back to the label, we were able to get what we needed. And it allowed the band to just you know self-sufficient, meaning when they went on tour, they started making money. They started selling merchandise, they started getting paid more than what you know their van cost or you know this or that. I and mean, I'm probably skipping around a bunch, but one of the really major spots for this band was. I mean, I'm skipping around a lot. Obviously, the record came out. The record was really well received. Jesse left the band uh, a little over a month before, after the record came out. It took Which a little bit of time?
2: Yeah, like so. To the extent that you you felt you want to talk about it, like, did you see that coming, or was it a complete fucking surprise for everybody?
0: I probably didn't see it coming. I probably didn't see him quitting. I mean, we probably had concerns at some points. Yeah, but I didn't think it was going to happen that quickly. In, you know crazy to look back at it now especially being back in the band but it was it was a bit of a of a of a gut punch and you know ultimately he did what was best for him and i think you know in hindsight it really kind of worked out well for everybody because he's such the right person now for this band you know for so many reasons i probably didn't see it coming to the extent that it that it happened that's another kind of just lesson in how to do things because when it happened, the record was out, the record was really well received internationally. People loved it. You know, we were working on doing some tours. I'm not, I'm not gonna say who right now, but we're, we're working on a couple of things and a lot of those opportunities just went away. Like. Like you know, so
2: was your vibe? Uh, you know, not necessarily speaking for the band, but speaking for yourself. Was you were you like, fuck? What do we do now? Or were you like, all right, you know what? We're going to be able to handle this. We're going to be able to get through this. Like, where oh, are you I was at?
0: definitely, I was definitely, fuck. What are we going to do now? Um, <laughs> no doubt about it. I think my thing was my thing from the start, and I said this to the band will uh, the band will back me up on this. My thing was we have to make an attempt to find the right guy, and if mm-hmm. we rush into a decision, we're gonna hurt ourselves. And like, you know, to lose someone of that caliber at that point in what was going on, the only way this is going to work is if we take our time and find the absolute best person to do this. And this was probably one of the first things that led to the, you know, first of many pivotal decisions that, that, that led to the success of the band because there was a lot of pressure you know there's a lot of pressure from the label you know let's find someone and you know the label's had had ideas and we're ready to like go on those ideas and i personally wasn't ready to move on those ideas and at the same point i didn't have any i didn't have any ideas you know but i think the first good decision was we we didn't rush it we moved fast but we didn't rush it we didn't we didn't rush to the wrong decision too quickly and and it, and it really would have been extremely easy to do that. We would have made a lot of people happy doing that. Mm-hmm. And in, within months, it would have been over. Um, so, you know, we we did what you do. You We, you know, we set up tryouts. Um, those guys tried out a bunch of people in Massachusetts. Uh, what's great about that situation is Adam is a producer. So Adam had instrumentals and, you know, tried people out, recorded them. We set up a thing in New York. We had a bunch of people come down. We had a, a little studio. The band came up. Adam recorded those sessions. And you know, I remember they they recorded Howard and Adam sent it. Adam sent it to me. And you know, they recorded a bunch of other people. And you know, the Howard one definitely like jumped out to me like immediately. And I'm like, what about, you know, what's wrong with this guy? You know? And they were like, oh, I'm not sure. You know, we're not, we're not sure yet. So we had him come up, you know, to one of the New York tryouts. And I was basically like, that's, that's your guy. Like, you know, that's him. So that's, that's kind of how that, uh, how that came around. But, you know, back to kind of the self-sufficient thing. One of the really key points is, you know, Howard's in the band now for a, a little over a year, hasn't made a record yet, but the touring has increased. A lot of the phone calls, a lot of the people that weren't answering the phone after Jesse left, they're answering the phones now. And one of the key spots was we, 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 you know, I remember it, three different managers. We all sit down in a diner in New Jersey and, you know, Paul, my friend Paul Conroy, who was managing Lamb & God at the time, Dave Ciencio, who was managing Shadow's Fall at the time. The three bands are all kind of, you know, pretty slowly moving up the ranks, but making like a kind of a cultural statement is really what was happening. And we had this idea to do this three-band bill, rotate it, and... We, we were all totally copying. I know for me, totally copying like you know the headbangers, you know the, the Clash of the Titans. I should say, mm-hmm. you know when I was you know a young adult, and when Slayer, Anthrax, and Megadeth went out, and it, it was a rotating bill, and they each played the same set. I mean, I was in my head, I was completely biting that that model. But the idea was that obviously those three bands were a lot bigger. You know, our bands weren't anywhere near that size. But the idea was, if you put this bill together, put us in clubs. That maybe we might do more business than just ourselves, even though there was a lot of overlap. And I don't think we really understood at the time the cultural statement that was being made. I think I think anytime something like that's going on, when you're in it, you never really recognize that it's happening. It just you just it just happens. And. I remember, and I'll, I'll say this, I'll, uh, you know, I, I had this crazy idea like, wow, you know, Headbangers Ball is just restarting. MTV had just resurrected Headbangers Ball. And I was like, wow, it would be amazing if they would sponsor it. And Paul Conroy immediately was like, well, the people at Epic, Lamb label were really tight with those people. Let me bring them the idea. Hmm. Brought them the idea and they were on board. And funny story, you know, Roadrunner, didn't want us to do that tour. Essentially, we had toured for a while. They wanted another record. Up to that point, they'd given us bits of tour support for all the different tours that we did. And it wasn't a ton of money, but but they definitely gave us money. And the edict was no tour support for this tour. In my head, I'm thinking, you know, we're going to have this headbangers ball sponsoring this thing. It's going to be all over MTV. And at that time, you know, getting these bands on MTV wasn't the easiest thing to do. And I'm thinking, like, you know, there's no way these other two bands are going to go on this tour, you know, with this idea that I kind of partly came up with without my band. Like, it, it's got you know, we have to make it happen. So long story short, all the work that we had done up to this point, and we didn't, I didn't know this was going to be the case. But when the agents went out and started to get offers for this tour and I started doing budgets, I realized, like, wow, you know, we can afford to do this on our own. We can afford to do this in a bus on our own with no help from the label. And we'll still come on with some money and, you know, we'll, you know, we'll sell some merchandise. You know, we had to sit down with the band and they're like, let's do it. You know, and I went back to the label, like, we're doing it. You know, sorry. You know, this is happening. And that tour really changed the game for everybody. It changed the game for us, changed it for Shadows Fall, changed it for Lamb of God, and it changed it for bands that, that came after us. That's an example of where the self-sufficiency really came into play, because in another situation, we would have had to just do what we were told. And when we put out the next record, and I forget the numbers, but we were probably at like 100,000 records sold with the Leverage Breathing, as opposed to like 60,000 records sold, which is where we would have been had we stopped at that point. And you know that's a it's a big difference. Like you, you basically raised a platform, and now you're putting out a record that has a bigger platform that it would have had if you'd put it out a year before. And that record ended up ended up going gold. I rambled a bit, but you know, hanging out with Mike Gitter yesterday, we were just and watching the band and watching them in this crowd, and you know, we just kind of we had kind of chuckle at just how much. I told him he you know thank you for changing my life, and he's like, well, you changed my life too. And the reality is, we all change each other's lives just that casual I think you're a fit great story first of all thanks for sharing but so then you do that you know and then
2: you get the goal record and and you all your bets are paying off and this tour is paying off and then some time goes by and then Howard announces he's leaving Yes. And then are you like, what the fuck again? <laughs> like, what are we going to do? Or well, was it, you know, you'd go to Jesse right then and there?
0: No, no. A little bit of a different situation. Um, that really was a situation where, you know, I kind of saw it coming and kind of knew that we were going to have to do the thing again. You know, at the time, I honestly didn't think that Jesse, you know, would do it, to be, to be honest. It had come up, to be honest, it had come up once before. It didn't make sense for him and um we, you know we were doing times of grace so it wasn't like we were all right. talking but um in fairness to jesse you know we put it we we basically did the thing where we put out a thing howard's you know leaving the band we're looking for a singer i think jesse hit up adam adam was in town the day that we made the announcement it was, it was kind of funny we were we were, we were at, a, at a bar. You know, and Adam and mine and Kenny's cell phone are just like, you know, going to the roof because we literally just made this announcement. You know, we're all just like, oh, God, you know. And at that point, Jesse reached out to Adam. And then I had a conversation with Jesse. And to Jesse's credit, Jesse and people still don't believe me when I say this, but he tried out like everybody else. Um, We, you know, we sent everybody songs. Obviously, for Jesse, we didn't have to send him his own songs. We, you know, we sent him Howard songs. And, you know, he definitely had some tr- special treatment in that, you know, we had a room, we had a room and we didn't want anybody to see that, you know, he, you know we didn't want the other singers to see him. So we had him come at the end. We, you know, we, we, you know, and he, he tried out, I think he did two or three Howard songs. And then just for fun, he did like two or three of his songs. Uh, I remember Monty Connor was in the room at the time. At this point, you know, Mike is no longer at roadrunner and Monty's technically A&R guy and Monty was there and, you know, Jesse hung off a little bit. He laughed and we all looked at each other like, wow, that felt great. And that was that. I honestly didn't think that that's how it would turn out. I didn't think, I didn't think Jesse would do it. Honestly, I didn't think he would be interested. And that's a decade ago now almost. It is, uh, it is literally a decade ago. Yeah. Yeah. It's Crazy. crazy he tried out we announced him in the band i think it was january of 2011 so yeah played a first show at metal i think it was metal fest in april or march or april of 2011 so a decade ago
2: i remember um we had a benefit at vandal one of my my pre one of my previous restaurants in in new york city and it was for hope for the day um yes. you know and uh and Jesse and Howard were in the same room for I don't know if it was the first time, but it was like one of their first times, kind of. And but people seeing them
0: together and talking yeah, yeah. Like, I don't like know they if they you were remember mortal this. enemies or something. Yeah, well, I don't know if you remember this, but we and I I was definitely a big part of of you know because we ended up you know I'm, I'm very good friends with Howard. I ended up. Working with his band again, which is kind of crazy when you think about it, and and I and I literally called all of the guys in Killswitch to let them know that look, I'm thinking about doing this. I hope you guys are going to be okay with this, and and they were all okay with it, and you know, and they were all in touch to a degree. But I don't know if you remember this, Chris, but we were we it was I forget what was going on. We we're all in Vegas, and Killswitch was playing a show in, in Winnipeg, and Howard went to the show because he was living there at the time, and I had no idea he was going to the show. He didn't tell me he was going. I had no idea. And Chris, you walked over, and you put your cell phone in my face, and it was a photo of the five of them and Howard. Yeah, yeah. And my jaw hit the floor because I didn't even, I didn't. No one told me he was coming. No one told me Howard didn't come. ask me to put him on the list, like nothing. And like the internet, like just like broke. Up. Yeah, you yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then and then I started getting texts from all the guys. Like it was so great to see him. You know, yada yada yada. But uh, I, I still tell people Howard? that story. What was Do that? You work with Howard
2: now? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I didn't know that.
0: Yeah, we we started working with Howard again in I don't know, maybe twenty seventeen or sixteen. Light the, light the torch, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Basically, once the W N but know became light the torch, we 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 were, we were, we've been working with them. Yeah, great records. So, yeah, you know, COVID's really hurt a lot of things because that record came out. They were supposed to go out on tour. That tour didn't happen. So, but we've got. I guess I can say this here now because this is not going to air for a little bit. But on, you know, by the time this thing airs, it will be announced. We the rescheduled kill switch, August Burns Red, light the torch tour is going to be announced. Oh, great! So those bands are going to be on tour together. You know, which That's is even you know, even more insane.
2: So we might see Howard and Jesse on stage together. Is what you're saying?
0: Possibly. <laughs> Possibly. Uh, I mean, they've done it a couple um, times.
2: And so is, and so what other notable bands are you know are you working with that maybe our listeners might not might not know? Yeah, well, I
0: mean, there's bands that I'm working with now, there's bands that I've worked with. I mean, I've worked with that all, like Dying. Are what you working with that? The, uh, All That Remains? Is that right? Work with All That Remains for a little bit. I'm not working with them now. Um, okay. uh, work with a band called Memphis Mayfire that's doing yeah. really well. There's had some singles that have come out from their upcoming record that's coming out next year that are doing really well. You know, we work with with, with Lorna Shore, more so Jason in our office, and they're doing really well. And they, they kind of they had like a viral moment that they've been able to kind of build on. The contortionists to do well. Just always a weird thing. We, like, I, I don't want to f- f- forget anything. I don't know if I can see this here, but Matt has a couple of bands that we're going to help them with, including Capra, who's signed to your label. Yep, yep. Um, and Squilla Grind. Um, we do some things outside of the metal world. We do this guy, William Elliott Whitmore who's like a kind of a punk, country, bluegrass sort of guy. It's just him and a banjo or a guitar and him beating on the drums. And then some of the things that we've done in the past, you know, notably, I mean, I work with Asley Dying, uh, two different stints uh, for a long time. Uh, you know, when they, when they kind of really came to prominence, kind of in that second wave behind bands like Killswitch and Lime of God, we were the managers uh, during that time frame um i'm sure i'm missing some that i'm gonna get in trouble for um,
3: your chris's former chef brian Sal, you managed both his career and his very good hardcore ish band uh Law yeah yes Did
2: you see them recently when they pl- when they opened for um
3: moon
0: yeah, at st. Vitus. yeah they no, played with moon Tools. no saw- um,
2: <clears throat> not that show uh
0: um oh they it, it, at st vitus
2: yeah um that crazy band from uh... yeah, drawing a blank. They were really good, but yeah, yeah. So I was at
0: that show. I'm just drawing a blank.
2: Yeah, all the uh, shows become a blur. I have yet to see Lost becomes live, and I would really love to see them. We like them at the label. Is I'm to yeah. say <laughs> you got to see them. <laughs> but, I, but I haven't seen them yet. Yeah, um, yeah no, you definitely
3: got to see them. No, there, there's definitely Vaughn and I saw them in Long Island over the summer, and there are some riffs that just like are mean, which yeah. is like, yeah,
2: Brian's no joke. 100%. Which is funny because the last time I saw him perform was at like Pink's, this tiny little bar that we all know and love. Yes, where, where he was basically playing covers, like rock yes. and roll. Yes, so far removed from from yes. what he's doing. And lost becomes like. What do you look for in a band? What makes a band mm-hmm. worthy of your representation, and vice versa? What does a band look for that you guys, um, you know, are, you know, excel at? I guess I'm, I yeah. I don't know enough about the management side, so I'm curious yeah. about.
0: Well, I mean what we look for is i mean really simply you know enough of enough of us have to like it i mean that that's the first thing we have to like it because that's a big deal for me you know my for me a big thing is if i'm going to get on a plane and fly to go see a band that i manage am i going to be excited and this is a litmus test that i put on myself a long time ago when i when people, are, you know, a lot of times people will give you bands like, oh, you should, you should, you know, work with these guys. You know, they're hot. This is happening. That's happening. And I say to myself, okay, if I got to go and see this band, am I going to be psyched to see them? Because I, you know, I go to shows. I go, I, I buy tickets. I go to shows and I like, it's a big part of my life. So I got to like a band. If I'm going to get on a plane and be bummed, then I don't want to manage them. You know, I'm stroking around, but yesterday I flew from New York to LA I was only in LA for about 9 hours and then I flew uh I, I got a 10:30 flight out to get to Vegas cuz I needed to be in Vegas today. I got to really like that band. If I'm going to, you know, be in three cities in 15 hours, I got to, you know, I got to be into it. So, yeah. so that's so, so that's one. Two is, you know, just do they have potential? Like, what's what's their ceiling? Do they have the ability to move from, from, you know, point A to point B, C, D, and beyond? And I think that's what we're, one of the things that we're good at, I think we're really good at, like, developing bands from an early point and, you know, moving it up the ladder. So, and that's a really kind of esoteric thing. Like, what, you know, it's, you don't know, you don't necessarily, you can't guarantee it, but do you think... Do you think they've got something that can kind of move them up the ladder and take them to the next level? Then the intrinsic things is, are they hardworking? You know, are they good guys? Do you do, you, you know, in addition to liking the music, do you want to hang out with them? Because when you manage the band, you spend a lot of time on the phone. You spend, you know, a lot of emails back and forth. Now the age of texting, a lot of texting. And if they tour a lot, a lot of time around them hanging out. Yeah, It's really those simple things, you know, are they doing something different? It's it's always exciting to get involved with something that sounds different, that feels different, that's got something that you necessarily can't put your finger on happening. So I'm probably being really super vague about it, but it's a lot of really, it's, it's a lot of gut, honestly. You know, bands, a lot of times when bands are looking for managers or you know maybe it's even the other way around or maybe they're not even looking um but you're so into them that you want to manage them a lot of times bands don't necessarily know what they need in a manager or what they want in a manager you know a lot of times what they think they need is actually what they need you know sometimes they think okay we need a record deal um can you get us a record deal um you know we need an agent or we need a better agent than the one that we have. Can you get us a better agent than the one you have? And when in reality, what they need is, you know, what managers do, it's a lot of planning. It's a lot of just kind of looking down the road, working with someone to to, to see where they see themselves down the road and come up with a plan. If everybody agrees that that's the road, that that's where they want to get to, that, that that makes sense, come up with a plan to get there and, I think that's what we do. We kind of sit down and say, okay, if you want to get here, how, how are you going to do that? What, what, what are the things that work for you as a band? Do you want to, you know, do you want to tour with these kind of bands? Do you want to tour with those kind of bands? It doesn't matter what kind of bands you tour with. Um, a lot of times as a manager, you try to convince the band to tour, to do some tours that are a little outside of what's obvious. You know, I know for Killswitch and a band like Azalea Dying and even H2O in the beginning, you know, we did a lot of things that people didn't necessarily see us doing. You know, when Kills did Warp Tour, people were like, that's, you know, like why would they do Warp Tour? And we were like one of the first, you know, Hatebreed was probably like first, but we were one of the first like kind of heavy bands to do Warp Tour. And we, I think we opened up the door for a lot of other bands to do it. Um, it's a lot of, that, that's, those are like the extra bells and whistles that a manager can bring to the table. Is just because when you're not in the band, and you're not in that tunnel. A lot of times you can look at things from afar and see things that they don't see. And, you know, you bring it to them and you see you see where it goes. Um, you know, there's all these decision-making, you know, like I, like I was talking about, you know, a singer, like taking your time, finding the right guy, you know, knowing when to stay on the road, knowing when to come off the road, knowing how in a record cycle to do different types of tours. Don't just tour, you know, one of my kind of pet peeves with what the business has become is, you know, when I was young, you know, bands under like the heavy genre tore with lots of different styles of heavy bands within that genre, you know? Um, you know, when Metallica tore with Ozzy, you know, that was kind of a crazy thing when that happened. I mean, now, you know, it doesn't look that way, but when that happened, like Metallica was this like thrash band you know, touring with Ozzy Osbourne, you know, who, who was in like his the the kind of the hair metal days, the ultimate sin album. Yeah, wasn't it
2: wait, wasn't 80 was the ultimate sin was Metallica? Because it wasn't it Motley yeah. Crue and then Metallica was the next opener for yeah, Ozzy? well Motley
0: Crue toured with Ozzy on I think Ozzy was on Bark at the Moon at that point. Okay, no, that was like 83. Okay. It was at okay. the Metallica tour was like a couple years later. And you know, that was that was nuts. Like like Metallica's touring with Ozzy, like that. It was, it was nuts. And, but I think over time, we kind of got into this thing where you know if you're a metalcore band, you tour with other metalcore bands. And, you know, I don't think that's healthy. I think
2: I, I, I think didn't realize until today that Greta Van Fleet is opening for Metallica. Yeah, they're doing a couple shows, like four or five shows. I, I love Greta Van Fleet, and I think they're an amazing live band. But I hate that tour. It's just like
0: it's weird. But it speaks to what you're saying,
2: doing something different and outside the box. Wait, yeah, wait, well, and can,
3: can can I share the dirty secret of Metallica? No one will admit, and that will get eye rolls from both of you. All right. Metallica, Metallica is not a thrash metal band, they're a nineties rock band.
0: Well, I mean, now, but
3: <laughs> like, I like mean, I'm just saying, like that's why say they,
2: play, they play a lot of deep cuts off the first. No, they band. do, and
3: I and I give them credit, but I'm saying like the fan base is is a nineties rock fan base, and
2: nobody wants to admit that. Yeah. I don't know that the guy going to see Metallica wants to see Greta Van Fleet. I, I don't. I don't think. I don't think so. You I know think what? He, I think, well, he I wants think there's me. a
0: portion of the fan base that won't want to see that. I think maybe there is some that are okay with it. What I what I will tell you is, I this. think they'd want to see Killswitch. Yeah, I mean, one day. Yeah, <laughs> one day. <laughs> um, um, yeah, I mean, I still think though, and Matt, just to for your to maybe you have a point now. I'm not gonna cop to that. But certainly in 86 when they tore with Ozzy, that oh, yeah. they, were, they were they were like yeah. They were as thrash as you get. Yeah. And um, you know what I will say to that too, Chris, is maybe some of their fan base won't like it, maybe a lot of it won't like it. But I do think that it's important. I mean, they're playing stadium, you know, it's a I think those shows yeah. are stadium shows. Yeah. I think it's important to like give a different look, like you know open I think as a big band I think when you take out other bands I I think ideally it reflects to some degree what you like you know and and what and and you should challenge your audience a little bit you know maybe they're doing it because they're getting played on the radio and they just need more tickets you know I don't know
2: See, I I, I get it I just like I see like Exodus coming out with what on the surface looks like it's going to be one of their best records ever and you know uh, and you know yeah, I want to see Metallica with Exodus. I'm yeah.
0: sorry. I just yeah, and I get that. And, I, and listen, I, I also would like to see them, you know, like they have done. You know, they took out Lamb of God. Um, you know, they took out Machine Head. I'd also like to see them kind of, you know, look at some bands, you know, some more <laughs> bands that they influenced and take them out. Metallica, please take out
3: Killswitch. <laughs> <laughs> That's the point of this podcast. We are running towards the end, though, because Chris has to – go do fight things i do i have to go fight people no
2: um so uh you know i am putting a little musical uh a little musical thing together um and we are getting closer and closer to actually making it happen um i'm going to be doing a little project with monty Pittman. nice um yes uh, i'm scared to death i owe monty a call (laughs) but, <laughs> I've been playing drums uh, every day and I still feel and he's like let's just get in a room and do it and I'm like I, yep. I cannot get in a room with you I'm not ready yet but we're getting very close cuz he's running out of patience with me he's just going to make me get in a room with him but um you know I may Monty, be Monty you likes you up to move he, I might I might be calling you up with some some questions in the future I mean I've got please. a label so I know where I'm going to put the music out of, uh, but yeah. then beyond that I might need some help so please, you'll be the first please. call I make uh, love you and I love Monty Monty's, yeah. uh, Monty's a Monty's a good friend Hopefully I can, you know, gosh, I hope I can do it justice. We'll see. Um, (laughs) But anyway, thank you for being on the show. Not once, but twice. Thanks for Um, having me. I I know how busy you are. So it really means a lot. It's really fascinating um, hearing the management side of things. It's just something I don't know anything about. and It's been a really two fascinating conversation. So thank you very, very much.
0: Awesome. Thank um, you for having me. It's
2: honestly an honor to, 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 to do this with you guys. This is great. Ah, for sure. For sure. And I uh, hope to see you soon. I run into you all the time. So I'm sure I'll see you soon. Yes, yes Matt Bacon, always lovely to hear your voice. Um, sort of, I guess. Uh, everyone <laughs> out there, thanks for listening. We've got some great guests coming up uh, in November, December and into January. So keep listening and we'll keep bringing all the fun.
3: And I'm going to go call HR Metal Blade.
2: <laughs> you should i can't believe it's
3: taken you 30 episodes <laughs> like for real come on get it together kid
0: all
2: right thank you I'm everyone out. for listening take care all
3: right thanks
2: all right so that was awesome thank you everyone out there for listening to delirious nomads sponsored by blacklight media we will be coming back at you next week with another awesome guest be sure to follow blacklight media on socials for new music and more and above all keep it heavy